We are concluding our look at Amos this morning. We have been noticing that our love for others will grow as we turn to the Lord. As we seek uh, the Lord and humble ourselves and ask him to change us from within, he not only gives us a great level of worship for himself, and we begin to love God, but the way that we treat others automatically changes. In other words, in Amos there is a direct connection. If you love God and you follow after his commandments as a result of his mighty work in our hearts, then you will also begin to love people better. You will treat them with dignity and with respect. When the culture begins to fall away from God, the love for mankind also withers and fades and begins to fall away as well. I was recently listening to some people talk about a nation in Europe and how they are trying to figure out how to have standards that coincide with the scripture without the scripture. So you take the commands of God away, you take away the inspired word of God, and nations are still trying to figure out how can you command people not to kill each other? How can you say it is wrong to not swindle one another and not deceive one another? It's very hard when you move away from the objective word of God, and you move away from the truth, the question becomes, how do, we set up, how do we set up a standard? How do we set up an objective standard? This is, this is the problem. You take God out of the equation, there is no longer an objective standard of right and wrong. Every person does what is right in his own eyes. And this is exactly what we're seeing in our culture here today. People are trying to figure out, how are we going to proclaim what is right and do what is right but we're not going to give the scripture any level of priority. We're definitely not going to revere it in any way. And so as the standards decrease, uh, people become heartless. And people begin to treat each other with great disdain and great disrespect as Romans Chapter 1 says, and they were heartless. You take a, a nation without God, you take a nation that does not respect the objective standard of Scripture, and we will show you a nation that has hard hearts. And so Amos is coming along and he is preaching and he is prophesying to the people over and over again, would you, would you listen would you repent? There's all sorts of problems in society, and the only way that society is going to begin to turn around is if people will change their hearts. They will seek after the Lord. He doesn't just come and say, this is the standard. Okay, now you guys need to change the standards here. And if you somehow just manage to change the standards, everything else will will fall into place. He says, no, no, the first thing you need to do is correct all the false worship. Seek the Lord and live. If you will seek the Lord, everything else will change. So the, the law comes after our change of heart. Once our heart is changed, then we begin to obey from a spirit that wants to listen and wants to obey. But Israel is getting tired of Amos's teaching. They don't want to hear the truth. So they're saying, no, no, we can, we can figure this out on our own. We, we don't need God's standard, Amos. We thank you very much for coming and preaching to us. But Amos, we really don't need you, and we really don't want you around. Would you please 
leave us alone. We can figure out this whole gender thing on our own. We don't need God. We don't need the Bible to help us figure it out. Yes, we understand that the Bible says there is male and female, but we're going to come up with a third category because we don't, we don't respect this anymore, so we're going to still kind of come up with standards, and we're going to expect everybody in the culture to abide by these standards of morality because that's exactly what it is, standards of morality. And so you're going to accept it. You're going to accept the false notion of transgendered people. You're going to accept that. You're going to say that is, a, that is a third category. We can actually get rid of male and female. I recently saw the, uh, the MTV uh, awards. They are going to be doing away with male and female awards. We'll just award people. And if you dare try to come against this kind of amorality, you're going to pay a deep price. If you try to follow the scripture and you try to somehow define that there is still male and female, we're going to punish you with the full weight of the law. And we're going to do everything that we can to silence you so that you're scared to death to say anything. And so the pressure comes in. Shh, don't talk. You can be a Christian if you want, but you can be a Christian in private. This is the public arena. We don't want Christians in the public arena who are actually displaying and talking about their faith. We want Christians who are secret Christians. Please stop preaching. Please stop going around with all of these standards. Please stop telling us what is right and wrong. Please stop telling us about one God. We don't want to hear about one God. Well, if you talk about one God, perhaps we can talk about many paths to the one God, and perhaps we're okay with that. But it's okay no matter what you believe. If you don't believe in anything, that's just as well, too. But please don't come in with your sophisticated Bible talk, super spiritual lingo. And that's exactly what was going on here. If you flip over to Amos chapter 8. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. And most likely this is a false priest. This isn't even an apostate. Levite priest. This is not an apostate. This is a false priest who has been simply set up at a religious shrine in this place called Bethel, which we have looked at, this place of irreverent worship. And so this priest is not even a true priest of God. Jeroboam I, this is during the time of Jeroboam II, but Jeroboam I, the leader of the northern kingdom, had set up false priests. Remember, there were supposed to be no priests who were not from the line of Levi. But when the two kingdoms separated, Jeroboam thought to himself, well, I don't want everybody going to worship in the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. I don't want people defecting. So what I will do is I will set up false priests. Notice how he does this. If you go over to 1 Kings chapter 33, 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 33, 1 Kings chapter 13, 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 33. This is uh, speaking about the first Jeroboam. And after this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Now notice this. This is interesting. So Jeroboam is setting up priests. Many years later, Amaziah would be one of the priests in this line of false priests. So you have the real priests in Jerusalem 
from the tribe of Levi. Not all Levites were priests, but if you wanted to be a priest and were going to be ordained to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. These men are not. In fact, it says here at the end of verse 33, any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. Notice 2 Chronicles chapter 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 9. Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord? The sons of Aaron, these are the legitimate priests. And the Levites? So God is asking, haven't you driven out the real priests, the true priests, the priests that come from the tribe of Levi? Remember, Israel has different tribes. One of those tribes is Levi, and all of the priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. So when the kingdom splits, Jeroboam says, you know what, I'm going to set up my own priesthood. And he begins to set up false priests, and God comes along and he says, haven't you made priests for yourselves like the peoples of the other lands? Whoever comes for ordination with a young bull or seven rams becomes a priest of what are no gods. Does that sound familiar? Anybody can become a priest. Anybody can become a pastor. Anybody can become a preacher. No qualifications needed. All you need to do is get online, pay $10 and get an ordination certificate, and there you go. You are ordained. So somebody says, well, you know what? I, uh, I think I'd like to be a priest. Whoever wants, that's what the Bible says, whoever wants to be. And so there are a lot of people who simply want to be. They say, this is what I want. And so they fill out the appropriate paperwork or the inappropriate paperwork, and they say, this is exactly what I'm after, so I'll become a pastor. And the land here was flooded with people, listen, who were not qualified. Can you imagine a nation like that filled, let's think here, filled, let's think for a second, imagine a nation filled with pastors or filled with priests or filled with spiritual leaders who are not qualified. Does that sound familiar? So here they are. If I want to do it, I can do it. And so we have, listen, we have false teacher after false teacher rise up. People who say, well, I want to give a teaching. We have all sorts of people who are giving out false doctrine, false teaching, not peering into the authoritative word of God, not preaching this, not studying this, but coming to their congregations with messages that are made up, listen, made up out of their own head. And then they throw a Bible verse or two, they sprinkle a Bible verse in, and they dupe the people. And then they say this, we don't want to listen to the preachers who are about sound doctrine, sound teaching, actually opening their Bibles verse by verse. Isn't that a little boring? Can you imagine going through the Bible verse by verse, book by book? Isn't isn't that somewhat old-fashioned? Haven't we moved beyond all of that? Here's the problem. Listen, these men are not called. They're not called. They're not called by God. They're called by their own whims. They're called by their own desires. The call to the priesthood was a call from God. The call to be a prophet was a call from God. I remember Erwin Lutzer saying this. He said, I'm old-fashioned. He said, but I still believe that the ministers of the gospel 
need to be called. And not just called by their own desires, but there is a call that comes from the Lord and a blessing that comes upon certain men to lead the church and to teach the church and not to teach the church their own desires and their own thoughts, but to faithfully teach the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4 says, And he gave pastors. In other words, it was the Lord from heaven, it is the Lord from heaven, who gives faithful preachers, faithful prophets to his people. But 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, In the last times, the last days, people will accumulate for themselves teachers that scratch or that itch their ears. False teachers who have not been called by God, false priests, as in the Old Testament, who were not called by God, delivering messages that are not from the Lord in order simply to placate the people and scratch or tickle itching ears. Jeremiah chapter 14, if you flip with me there, Jeremiah chapter 14. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14 says this. The Lord said to me, the prophets are, this is the Lord speaking, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them nor did I command them or speak to them. God is saying, I didn't send these prophets. I didn't call these prophets. There was no call of God to these men, yet they are speaking, and they are speaking endless words. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. There it is, made up in their own heads. Verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. So Amaziah is this false priest, and he is, he is here talking to Amos, the real prophet, the true prophet, one who has been sent by God. There's nothing special about him intrinsically. There's nothing special specifically about Amos. He's just a regular person, pastors, priests of the Old Testament. It wasn't that they were above the people or better than the people or anything like that. They simply were called by God as a sheep themselves to simply and humbly and powerfully proclaim not their own words, but the words of God. And so Amaziah comes and he says, Amos has conspired against you. He's now going to Jeroboam II, this false priest, and he's saying uh, he has conspired against you, verse 10 of Amos chapter 8, in the midst of the house of Israel, the land is not able to bear all his words. So he comes and he says, the land can't take this. Amaziah is saying, Amos has been preaching, he has been prophesying, and uh, the people are listening to this, and it's this weighty message of judgment. Everything seems to be going fine. The land is okay. People are making money. They have their summer houses, their regular houses. Yes, there are people being mightily oppressed. The poor are being treated improperly. But here comes this prophet from the southern kingdom. And here he is. He's coming here and he's preaching words that we just don't want to listen to. In fact, we can't bear them anymore. Stop preaching. That's the message. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, when Stephen was preaching... Uh, a similar thing happens in the New Testament. If you flip over there, Acts chapter 7. 
verse 54, when Stephen was about to be stoned, he had been preaching and the leaders of Israel couldn't stand, many of them couldn't stand what he was saying. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. So he says in verse 12, Amaziah comes in verse 12 of Amos chapter 7. And he says to Amos, O seer, that's O prophet, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. So Amaziah, this false priest, is saying, Amos, please just go home. Stop preaching. Go back to the southern kingdom. Leave us alone. And Amos says, listen, I was no prophet, verse 14, nor the prophet's son. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So he says, I, I couldn't help it. He says, I'm nobody special. He said, I was just a, a shepherd. I just uh, tended to sycamore fig trees. That's all I did. I was just a regular guy. I wasn't looking for anything. I wasn't looking... For money, I wasn't looking for a special call. I wasn't trying to prop myself up. I wasn't trying to make myself look great. And it was the word of the Lord that came to me. It was the word of the Lord. And I have to speak it. Because it was God who came. And it was God who opened his word to me. And it was God who gave me the things that I need to say. And that is why I am prophesying to you. It is not because I sat at home and was with the sheep trying to figure out a way that I could come to Israel and preach something that you don't want to hear. But Israel is now ripe for judgment. They have heard everything, and they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear the word of God. They have been told over and over again, judgment is coming. Turn from your wicked ways. Seek the Lord. And so finally the Lord says, okay, enough is enough. Judgment is coming. I have pled with these people. I have asked them to repent over and over again. I have demanded that they repent as the Lord. And yet they will not turn. People who hear the word of God over and over and over again, and yet there's no turning, there's no softening of heart. Listen, you don't want to be in that place. You don't want to be in the place where you're hearing the word of God preached to you over and over again, and you're saying to yourself, number one, I don't want to hear the word of God like Amaziah is saying. Go back home, we'll listen to other preachers who give us messages that make us feel good about ourselves and good about the life that we're living, and we're just going to go on from there. The Lord is saying, you can go ahead and ignore my word, but judgment is coming. In fact, you're ripe for judgment. That's what he is telling Israel. Look with me at chapter 8. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. Some translations might say ripe fruit. Summer fruit is simply ripe fruit, fruit that is ready for the picking, fruit that is ready to be eaten. And God is saying, you, Israel, the time has come. You are ripe for judgment. You are ready for the picking. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit or a basket of ripe fruit. This is a vision that he is seeing. Then the Lord said to me, here it is. The end has come upon my people, Israel. The end has finally come. There is going to be no more chances, no more preaching. In the ESV, it says this, I will never again pass 
by them. That almost sounds like God will never again deal with Israel. I don't think that's quite correct. I think the thought that God is getting across here is he's no longer going to spare Israel. He is tired of pleading with them. It is not that he is never going to deal with Israel again, but the time for judgment has come. Israel is ripe for judgment, and yet they don't care. In fact, their mind is set. In verse 4, he says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, Will the new moon be over that we may sell grain in the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale? that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances? What's he saying? Nothing is getting through. Nothing is getting through. In fact, they're still thinking. He's preaching. God is saying the time for judgment is coming. The time for judgment is now. You are ripe, but the people have their mind made up. They're listening to the word of God, but they're simply thinking to themselves, when is this going to be over? When is the Sabbath going to be over? We want to get out there and rip some more people off. We want, to, we want to go out there and mistreat more people. It's been a, amazing in, in, in ministry as, as a pastor. Where there are times that are more obvious than others. Where a person is hearing the word of God over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. And yet there's never a turning. In fact, the second the person gets outside of the influence of God's word, they're right back to their same habits. They're right back to doing what they want to do. There's no change of heart. Listen, you can, you, can, you can pen somebody up. You can put somebody in a program. You can have somebody come to church Sunday after Sunday. But unless their heart is changed and unless there is genuine repentance in their heart, as soon as they get outside of the influence of the gospel, they're going to go right back as a dog returns to its vomit. Right back. Why is that? How, how can somebody who hears the word of God faithfully proclaimed and goes, yes, I know that's true, but in the, in the meantime, their mind is made up. They're going right back to that relationship or they're going right back to the drugs or they're going right back to whatever sin it is over and over and over and over again. And the truth is, even in a state of grace, when we come before the Lord and when we have truly changed, isn't it amazing as Christians how many times we repeat the same mistakes? You ever catch yourself wondering, how, how could I do that again? I mean, you know the Lord, you love him, and yet you're saying to yourself, here I go again, and yet you know him, and yet you're coming back to him constantly saying, Lord, help me, Lord, change me, Lord, forgive me. So there are no perfect people, there are no perfect Christians, but this is talking about unregenerate, hardened people who never get it at all. They've never really repented. They've never gotten to the place. And listen, there are many people that, that think they're saved and they're not saved. There are many people who think, oh yeah, when I die, I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm going to just walk right into heaven and uh, nothing, nothing's going to be a problem because, uh, because that's what I think and there it is. And yet there's been no change of life. There's been no love for the Lord. There's been no humility. There's been no brokenness. There's been no change. There's been no genuine repentance. Listen, all of these things are not just evidences of a person who is struggling. These are evidences of a person who has never really been saved. And so God is coming and he's saying, listen, all you can think about, 
All you can think about is just getting out there and sinning some more. You're not even listening to the preaching right now. You're not, you don't even care about this message, Israel, of judgment. You don't care about this whole illustration of ripened fruit. It doesn't matter to you. You don't care. Your mind is made up. Your mind is set. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 6. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 6. Heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. Here it is. They refuse to know me. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. That's exactly what is going on in Amos. They're heaping up sin after sin, deceit after deceit, tragedy after tragedy. And so God says, I'm going to come in judgment. And one of the worst judgments that he could bring is that the preaching of God's word, the faithful preaching of God's word, comes to an end. The day the preaching stopped. There was a, an anthem by uh, Don McLean. 1971 called American Pie. And in it, there's a little line. Many people have tried to figure out all the different lines of this song. But in this song, one of the lines is, the day that the music died, the day the music died. The day the music died. It was about an incident that happened February 3rd, 1959. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. the Big Bopper Richardson. Were in a plane crash, died in Clear Lake, Iowa. Roughly 12 years later, Don McLean comes out with this song, and he writes about this era of the 1950s and the music of the 1950s, and he says, this is the day the music died. God comes along in Amos and says, this is the day the preaching died. No more Bible preaching. You know, we are inundated in this, this country with good preaching. It's everywhere. You think about, you think about the, the wonderful websites all over this nation of fantastic preaching. You think about the, the manuscripts that have been... Uh, republished from preachers long ago that you can get with one click. You think about all the podcasts that people can tap into and listen to. You think about all the books that have been published, all the sermons, millions upon millions upon millions of sermons and Bible commentary and Bible study helps. Think of all the, the study Bibles we have. And how many study Bibles do we need? How about the translations of, of the Bible and one after another? We have been so blessed with multiple translations of the Bible in our own language. Multiple books, thousands upon thousands of books that will help us to understand the Word of God. And yet, look at where we are as a nation. What has happened? What's happened? This is exactly what God is talking about when he prophesies through Amos here in chapter 8, verse 11. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. 
They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. What a powerful text. He says, here, here comes a famine. Here is part of the judgment of God. People are going to run all over looking to hear. If we could only hear the word of God. You know, one of the great indicators of a person who loves Jesus is they love the word. They think about the word. They want to get in their Bibles. They think about preaching that's actually Bible teaching. They, they want to hear that. They listen. Their, their hearts are drawn after sound doctrine. They're not like Amaziah. So here we've got a, a great distinction here between a Christian and a non-Christian. A non-Christian says, I don't want to hear the word of God, not this teaching. We want to still be real religious. We want to still be real religious, and we still want things called church, and we still want things that are called preaching, but we really don't want true preaching. There's no real hunger for the words of God, the, the true word of God. And then a Christian, one of the great indicators of a Christian, somebody who has been born again, they don't need to be taught this. It just comes naturally. They need to be encouraged in this. But there's a Holy Spirit-given desire for the pure and the true milk of God's word. It's something that comes naturally, just as a as when a baby is born, you don't have to sit down with it and say, now, I know you don't understand English or any language for that matter, but you're gonna wanna you're gonna want some milk here in just a little bit. You're gonna need to have a meal. No, no, that baby comes out, they start crying. They naturally want milk. It's the same thing with a Christian. As soon as they have been born from above, born again, there is a desire for the milk of God's word. And yet Amos is saying here, the days are coming when the word of God is going to be rare. Few people who are looking for it are going to be looking for the word of God, and it's not going to be preached. You think about Europe right now. And there are good Bible teaching churches in Europe and in different nations that make up that whole European continent. And yet one notices that the lights over the last couple hundred years have been continually going off. The faithful exposition of God's word is rare. Oh, sure, you can still find some Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. There's always a remnant. But it's as if you were looking at a city and the lights at nighttime, one after another, was going out. And this is what is happening in our nation if we do not wake up and repent. As God is saying, okay, you can have these things called churches. There's going to be no faithful preaching of the word. But America, if that's what you want, I will give you over to that. And so the faithful preaching of God's word, the word of God, is becoming rarer and rarer, even though we are inundated with all of the materials that we have. How many people do you think you could stop on the street and ask them what they think about good Bible teaching? Most people look at you like you had two heads. They wouldn't even know what you're talking about. That is the judgment of God. Oh, the judgment of God is coming way off in the future. No, the judgment of God has already begun. How do we know the judgment of God has already begun? Because people are running to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they cannot find it. This is... um pretty devastating scene. But the book of Amos doesn't end there because God's preached word always has the final word. And so he's telling Amos, look, Israel's day is coming. Judgment will be final. I'm not going to pass by any longer. I'm not going to continue to come and plead and beg. 722 BC, Assyria sweeps in. But God gives them hope. He says, Israel, I want you to know that even though I'm coming in with judgment, look with me at chapter 9, verse 11. 
He says this, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. So someday, Israel, even though I'm coming against you with judgment, and by the way, he would also come later to the southern kingdom with judgment. He says, I'm going to raise up the booth of David. This, this glorious, magnificent house had now become a hut. That's what this word literally means, a booth, this, this little hut. He says, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. He says this, he says, someday Israel, I'm going to come and I'm going to raise you back up. I'm going to raise you to newness in life, but I'm not only going to affect you but I'm going to affect the Gentile nations of the world. They are going to be blessed through you and because of you. Now, I would assume in our church here, most of us, perhaps not all of us, most of us here are Gentiles. A Gentile is a non-Jew. And we have been blessed because of the word of God that was given to the nation of Israel and God is saying, there's going to come a day, Israel, when I'm going to minister to you again. I'm going to begin to raise you back up. And as a result of you being raised back up, I'm going to bless the Gentile nations around you. You say, well, when did this begin? Did this happen or is this still going to happen in the future? Well, it's, it's happened in part and it's also going to happen in the future. It's already and not yet. So this Prophecy has been fulfilled in part, but the consummation of it is still future. If you go over with me to Acts chapter 15, this text is repeated by James. Acts chapter 15. Verse 16. Acts chapter 15, verse 16. Skip it with me back to verse 13. Uh, James here, the, the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And after they finished uh, speaking, Gentiles, by the way, are, are coming into the church. There's more and more non-Jewish people coming. And the question is, what should we do with all these Gentiles? It's not just Jews who are being saved. The gospel went first to the Jews but it's now spreading and Gentile after Gentile is being saved. And these Jewish people are trying to figure out how to handle them. And is this all biblical? Is this, is this right? All these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people are coming into the church. And so they're doing what any good Bible preacher, theologians would do. They look at the scripture. And after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related, that's Peter, how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. So he's saying this is all biblical. The fact that the Gentiles are, are going to come in and the Gentiles are going to be saved, this is biblical. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return. Now, who is James quoting here? He's quoting here Amos chapter 9. And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. So about 800 years later, after Amos' prophecy, the Lord would begin to rebuild Israel. The booth of David that had fallen would become greater through this son of David who was greater than David, through this Jewish man who was from the tribe of Judah, this booth of David would be raised up to greater glory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 16, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, 
and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So he says this whole thing of Amos predicting that he was prophesying that someday the booth of David would be restored. Even though Israel was going to fall in great judgment, Israel would be restored again. This happens through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are now in the church age, as Jesus calls 12 Jewish men to himself, and he begins to lead his people that wouldn't only include the Jews, but it would include Gentiles from nations all around the earth. And this prophecy will finally be consummated and fulfilled when the Lord comes back again. And Israel as an ethnic nation is restored back to its place of prominence in the millennium. So I want you to go back. We close with this in Amos chapter 9. So God still has a plan. He has been raising up the booth of David. It started with the ministry of Jesus Christ. It starts with the ministry of the apostles. The Gentiles are now coming in for thousands of years, and who knows how much longer the Lord has for the time of the Gentiles. And so we see some Jews coming in, but they have not been restored completely to their land. We see the beginnings of this in 1948. But the prominence that is prophesied here in Amos chapter 9 has not happened yet. I want to just say this. There are some people who say, well, these promises only apply to the church and they somehow discount ethnic Israel. Listen, if the, if the curses on Israel were literal, if God says, I'm going to take you out of the land and I'm going to judge you literally, and that happened in 722 B.C., if the Lord actually judged them literally, will not the promises of God that he is going to restore ethnic Israel, wouldn't they be literal as well and be fulfilled in the future? So this is why we say already and not yet. The promises of God to raise up the booth of David have already started in our time right now, but they will be consummated and fully fulfilled at the return of the Lord when he gathers in all of his elect people. Now notice what he closes with here in Amos chapter 9. He's talking about Israel. Uh, Amos chapter 9, let's go to verse 14. Amos 9 verse 14. And I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. So he's talking about Israel. Israel means Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Here it is again in Amos, talking about Israel. And I will plant them on their land. I will plant Israel on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So Amos ends here on a high note. He says, judgment is coming. Judgment is sure, Israel. The northern kingdom is going to fall. But this is why we say Israel is not going to fall finally. Because there is coming a day of complete restoration. Can you imagine someday we're going to be with the Lord bodily on this planet And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule for a thousand years. In all anti-Semitism, all the lies we hear about Israel today, you know how many people hate the nation of Israel? The desire of nations to destroy it. Out of all of the people's of the world, this little group of people continues to persist generation after generation after generation. This is not by accident. There's no more Amalekites. You don't hear anybody talking about 
going and fighting the Moabites anymore. But there's a reason this little nation persists. And God has promised, he says, listen, Israel, even though you have rejected the word of God, yes, there's still a Jewish remnant that is following the Lord, but in whole, even though you, Israel, have rejected the word of God, there's going to come a day when he's going to return. And the Jewish people will look at him who they have pierced. And the scripture says they will wail on account of him. And there is going to be a mass revival of ethnic Israel. And someday you and I are going to be in this world with no more persecution, no more hatred of the Jews, each person living where the Lord wants them to live in peace and in full prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your promises. They are yes and amen in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this book of Amos as this, this regular guy from the southern kingdom is called to the northern kingdom to say, stop the injustice. Stop treating each other this way. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord and live. Lord, we see the finality in some ways of your justice and your judgment that when you say you're going to judge a people because of their sin, you do that. And yet, Lord, you, you raise up a people as well with hope that the end is not complete and the end is not final destruction, but the end is joy in the Lord. And Lord, I, I just pray today that we would heed your words. I pray that uh, as a congregation, as a church here at City Light, that we would love your word more and more. That you would plant a, a deep longing in our hearts, Lord, for you. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that you're the fulfillment of all these prophets, these prophecies, Lord, that you are the one who raises up the booth of David. And because of that, we as Gentiles are included in this great promise and this great hope as we look to you. You're greater than David, even though you're his son. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? And let's uh, close with, um, we didn't sing it for communion last week, but it's on my mind right now. What can wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin?